Uh, again, I want to welcome you here. If, I, if maybe you came in right after our greeting or something at the beginning. My name's Brian. I serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm thankful that you are with us here this morning or if you've just now joined us online. Uh, and I also want to welcome our, our kids in here, our homes kids, elementary uh, guys and girls, and glad to have you guys in here with us. And uh, even the babies are in here. Uh, my son's in here, so if y'all hear some noise, that's, that's just my son. Forgive us. I also want to just bring to your attention, we, because of COVID, we do not pass the plate right now for giving. If you want to continue in worship through giving, uh, you can do so either at homesavenue.com forward slash give, or you can do so in the offering plate as you go to leave today with your deacon ballot. Um, but I just want to make that before you as well. If this is your first time with us or first time in a while, uh, you've caught us in uh, our second mini-series going through the book of Acts. We are going through the book of Acts throughout the conclusion of this year until we get to Advent for Christmas time, and then we'll pick back up in the new year moving forward and spend most of next year throughout the book of Acts. But we're taking the book of Acts and we're breaking it into smaller mini-series, if you will. And so this one that we're in right now, we're looking at basically chapters 3 through chapter 5 of the book of Acts, and we're seeing, and we've entitled it Faith Empowered, and we're seeing how the early church and the apostles are empowered through the work and the working of the Holy Spirit to do some incredible things as we read, and we're going to see uh, an example of that today. I've entitled the message today, Be Bold, as you see on the screen. And what we're going to see is, to give you a little catch-up from the last two weeks of this mini-series, Faith Empowered, uh, we have seen the healing of a lame man that was lame for some 40 years at what is known as the beautiful gate of the temple. And, and as he's laying there at the beautiful gate, this beautiful entryway, he's laying there and he's lame. He's been lame for 40 years of life. His entire life, he's there and he does the same that he does every day. He's brought to the temple by some people. They lay him there at the gate and he asks for alms. Basically, he's asking for money of some kind. Give me something to help me move forward in my day, to help me move forward in my life. It's the same thing that he does at all time. Like every day, it's the same thing for him, the mundane, over and over. I I have no way of getting there. People are going to take me. The only way I can really do anything, I can't work. I've got to ask for people to help me. And we see back in two weeks ago at the beginning of chapter three, how Peter and John at the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, are going for their time of worship. And they go in there. They see this man at the gate. And Peter says, look at me. And when he looks and makes eye contact with Peter, which that alone is powerful in itself, that he gives him the opportunity to make eye contact to show, hey, I see value in you. And he makes eye contact with the man and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say to you, get up and walk. And we saw in that passage how that man in that moment, through faith, stands up after hearing this powerful proclamation of the powerful name of King Jesus, who was defeated and death and resurrected. He says, get up and walk. And this man is then helped by Peter and John and he is helped up to his feet and he can see that his feet are underneath him, that he can walk. He's experiencing something he's never experienced in his life before, which leads to an outcry of worship and praise to God for what God has done in that moment. And so he starts doing the celebrating and all of the people there that were gathered for worship, they see a commotion and they do the same thing like most of us would do. Hey, something's going on over there. We need to go and see what's going on. And so they go over and they see what has happened and they recognize, wait, this is the guy that was at the beautiful gate. Why is he, how is he walking? What is going on? And then right there last week we saw this beautiful proclamation of the gospel. Peter preaches Jesus Christ crucified. 
And it's Jesus Christ crucified and his resurrection that gave the power for us to do what we did. It was nothing that I, Peter, did. There was nothing that John did. It was the proclamation of the name of Jesus and faith that this man got up and walked, which leads us to where we are today. I said be bold. I said be bold because we see an example of some persecution today. And I, and I want to just go ahead and say this now to get it out of the way. The persecution we see here in this passage is not really what we face here in America today. The fact that we are right now gathered in this place and no one has come in and said shut the place down is a freedom that we have here. And we're thankful for that freedom. The fact that we'll be able to walk outside of these doors and do an outdoor baptism for people to see in the name of Jesus, that's a wonderful gift that we have. But the reality is that the church across the globe does not have that same reality. The reality is we, we've seen it in the news the last couple of days, the pain and, and anguish that we're seeing happen in Afghanistan right now. I saw one thing posted last night on social media and it blew me away, but not to a point to where I was shocked. Because I, I've seen, and, and I'll even quote something here today, when persecution is, is happening to the church, the church expands. The kingdom of God advances. Last night I saw somebody post online that there was one network in Afghanistan in hiding that is trying to hide from the Taliban and, and not be attacked or murdered because they've been told, we know where you are, we're coming to find you and we will kill you. And a network of some believers of about 300, some believers, I think it was 320. Two weeks ago it was 320. In the face of persecution, that group has expanded. The kingdom of God has advanced to 2,500 souls. 2,500 people have moved from death into life because of the name of Jesus and the face of persecution. That is something to say amen to. Powerful. And we see today, Peter and John are standing before the religious leaders of the day and they're saying, why did you do this? And they're arrested for what they did. So let's read the passage. Let's stand together and honor the reading of God's words. The last time I'll make you stand for a little bit. We'll read verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen if you need it. The word of God says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, the, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We honor you. And we thank you for your word. Now, Lord, as your word is proclaimed, I pray that you speak through the one that is proclaiming it. Get me out of the way, Lord. You move and work in this. 
Have your way in us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So today we're going to see just how important it is to be bold in your faith despite the cost that may be there. So that others may hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and prayerfully come to faith. Now, kiddos, I know I gave you guys a little paper that you can write on, so take some notes. Adults, I know that you like to take notes. If you do, please write this down. Number one, boldly profess Jesus despite the cost. Boldly profess Jesus despite the cost. Verse one again says, and they were speaking to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, I've already brought you up to speed on where we are, but while Peter is doing this, we see that they come forward to them. They realize the commotion. They see there's some stuff going on. They want to say, we've got to fix this. We've got to solve this problem. And it says there, there he goes, I told you. He says there that while they're doing this, that the priest and the captain of the temple come up. The captain of the temple, who is that? Well, he's the commander of the temple police who was responsible for maintaining order. And so he sees a commotion going on and he's like, I got to get there to solve this problem. And so he shows up over there with the religious leaders. Now, let's take a note and, and point out something very clearly here. These religious leaders that are showing up there, the members of the Sadducees and all of those guys, these are the same people. This high priest that shows up, it's the same people who a couple of weeks prior are the ones that said crucify Jesus and had him sentenced to death before Pilate. Keep that in mind moving forward. We have to understand this scene, this commotion is taking place. Peter has boldly proclaimed the gospel before the people. The powerful name of Jesus and faith that is needed in him is what has healed this man. Now verse 2 says, Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Because it's the same group that wanted Jesus crucified. They're standing before and they're listening and they're getting very, very frustrated. They are very, very annoyed. They are frustrated because they thought that they had silenced this whole Jesus commotion. When he was sentenced to the cross, that should have ended the problem. Their problem. But see, the the problem of the matter is that their problem has never been solved. Because they have a heart problem. They had a head knowledge of of who the Messiah would be. They went through the whole religious system leading up. They memorized the Pentateuch, as I've talked about in the last couple of weeks. They memorized those first five books of the Bible. They had it all together. They were the religious elite. They made it all the way through. This is the high priest. And members of the high priestly family that are going to inquire by Peter and John who they're doing this. Under what authority? They should have known it all. They should have realized who Jesus was when he walked the earth. But they didn't. Because they had a heart problem that needed to be solved. And the only way that that heart problem can be solved is through the name of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. You see, the Sadducees, they were the theological liberals, if you will, of the day. They knew their stuff, but they didn't believe in anything miraculous happening. So the mere thought of Jesus dying on the cross, being buried in a tomb that wasn't even his, and him resurrecting from the grave, that's a miracle. We don't believe in that nonsense. We don't believe in this faith that he's talking about. We don't need to worry about faith in Jesus. We need to follow the rules. 
We need to do exactly what the law says and honor it and do what we have been told to do over and over and over and over. We just got to make sure that we are good people so that we are good before God. We don't need faith. What is this faith? I love how Tony Morita brings up in his commentary through the book of Acts. He says, and I'm summarizing here, he points to the fact that the religious leaders here who have taught this code of rules, they were very much a rules versus resurrection. They follow the rules and you're good with God. You do everything you need to do and you're good with God. But the reality is you have to understand the resurrection brings power. The resurrection brings new life because if the resurrection doesn't happen, the gospel is not the gospel. Jesus dies on the cross and he's done. There has to be a resurrection. And because of that resurrection, the sin that we all have, that Peter has just proclaimed before the people, the sin that you have, people, that sin has separated you from God. And therefore, you need Jesus and his precious blood poured out for you, dying in your place to redeem you. You need this. You need faith in this. You do not need a rule system to follow. Because here's the reality. The law that was established long before in the Exodus account that God gave to the people, God said, do this, do this, do this. It was Ten Commandments. The people could not even honor the Ten Commandments because of their sin. The people that Peter is talking to here, they could not measure up to that. That's why God sent Jesus, part of the redemptive plan, to save their souls. Because there needed to be someone to stand in their place because their death separated them from God. Their sin, because it led to death. Look at verse 4. Excuse me, verse 3. And they were arrested and put in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Because of the annoyance, because of the frustration, they are arrested. For boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ... They are arrested. There's the persecution for you. The name of Jesus has been proclaimed and the power of the resurrection. And because of that, they are locked up. They are thrown into jail. You see, at that point, they had gone into worship at about three in the afternoon. And they had their time of worship and their time of prayer. And then at the conclusion of that is when Peter and John see this man, this lame man begging that, that was there before them but as they were going in and he heals them. He goes in to worship with them. He's there with them now. A lot of time has passed. Maybe an hour or two. It's already gotten to be evening. There's no time to have a case. There's no time for any kind of trial. They say just arrest them and we'll deal with them tomorrow. And so for an entire night they have to sit there in a prison cell. For boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus. Verse 4. I love verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Despite the fact that you didn't like what was being proclaimed, and you arrested Peter and John, it doesn't matter because the word of God was proclaimed. Those that heard it repented of their sin and 5,000 some odd people came to Jesus. That is powerful. That is powerful. And that is a solid reminder for us church in this. And hear me. I know that we are not facing persecution like what is happening across the globe right now. But the reality is there is no guarantee that we are not going to face persecution. 
Jesus has made it clear. Paul in his writings have made it clear. Peter in his writings have made it clear. As a Christian, you will suffer. It is not a bed of roses. But God has promised through Jesus Christ that he is with us always. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. The one who has redeemed your soul will never leave you. God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. So here's the reality that we all need to understand and face. If persecution comes, boldly proclaim Christ. Kids, as you're in school and you're around your friends, I don't care if you say, well, Pastor Brian, I'm only seven years old. I'm only a teenager. I'm only eight, nine, ten, whatever. I don't care what your age is. If you're around your friends and they start to pick on you because of Jesus, boldly stand up for Jesus. Because he will be with you always. Boldly proclaim Jesus. Have faith because you may be the only one in that class, on that playground, in that school, in that moment that will boldly proclaim Jesus. Boldly proclaim Jesus. Listen to the things that you hear taught week after week in homes, kids. Listen to the things that you are taught on a repeated basis in your homes prayerfully. Boldly proclaim Jesus. Adults, as we face trials, persecution that may come, whatever that persecution may be, boldly proclaim Jesus. Because the reality is, it is worth it. We are free right now, and we have to be, and I'm not saying that we won't be free. But the reality is that there may be persecution that comes. And if somebody walks in this place and tells me, get down right now, you're not to proclaim Jesus or we will arrest you, I will hand them my hands and say, take me. Because the word of God is true. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected is powerful. And it brings life and I will proclaim it till the day I die. And I pray that for all of us. They are arrested for proclaiming the name of Jesus. But 5,000 came to know Christ. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the faith and trust of Jesus Christ. Brian Vickers in his commentary says this. A pattern begins here that that is repeated all throughout Acts. Persecution cannot stop the kingdom, but often goes in hand in hand with its growth. In spite of the arrest, the hope of the gospel takes root in many people. Here's the reality. From where we started in the beginning of Acts, at Acts 1-1, until where we are right now at Acts 4-4 in this very moment, we have seen what most scholars believe to be 10,000 souls come to faith. All through the proclamation of the gospel. Powerful. What does this tell us? Christ-centered preaching and teaching gives life. Christ-centered teaching and preaching gives life. Romans 10, 17, the Apostle Paul says it very clearly. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The people that we know and that we love that are lost, that need a relationship with Jesus, that need to be redeemed and and saved because of their sin that separates them from God, they need to hear it. We say it a lot here. We pray and ask God that we would boldly proclaim and demonstrate the gospel so that every man, woman, and child in our circle of accountability has those multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond. That is the prayer all the time for our people. For each of you, for us, 
that we would boldly proclaim it because they have to hear the gospel so that they can come and profess Christ. Boldly profess Jesus Christ despite the cost. Secondly, boldly profess Jesus so that others can hear. Five and six. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, here, Luke is giving us some understanding. Luke is the writer of Acts. And he's giving us some understanding that the next day, time has passed. They've been in jail all night and they are brought before these religious leaders. And as they are brought before them, we see the people that are listed there. All these members of the high priestly family. We have Annas there, who's technically the ex-high priest. And then we've got his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who's the reigning high priest in that moment. And then a couple other names that are mentioned, but they're all part of that family. Now, Caiaphas, he's also the president of the Sanhedrin, and he and those men, I said it a few minutes ago, are the ones that led the charge for Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion. They thought that they had dealt with Jesus and they had washed their hands of it, they wouldn't have to deal with it again, yet here they are. Jesus' name is being boldly proclaimed in his resurrection from the grave, and they're still facing issues. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? They want to know, who gave you the authority to go and do this? Because you haven't checked with us. Because we would have shut this down. Whose authority have you done this? And I have to think, Luke doesn't tell us what Peter's thinking in the moment or what John's thinking. But while he's there and he's listening to this, after spending the time in jail overnight, it really makes me wonder if what Jesus spoke to them started to play back in their mind, especially right there in that moment before that high priestly family. Makes me wonder, do they remember what Jesus said would happen if they would boldly proclaim the gospel? Jesus said it in Matthew 10, 16 through 20. And this is something very important for us to note, church. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent uh, as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. So bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Those words of Jesus have rang so clearly to Peter and John here in that moment. Because they're literally being brought before people after being arrested for proclaiming the name of Jesus. And they're having to give an account Now notice what I said there at the end of that. It said that Jesus says, for it is not you who speak. It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father, the Holy Spirit, speaking through you. Read verse 8 with me. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Let's stop there for a minute. Jesus told them, do not fear, for in the moment you will be told what to say through the power of the Spirit. Peter already has the Holy Spirit. It's already come down at Pentecost. 
But here in this moment, Luke makes sure that he ties that in with the remembrance for us of what Jesus said. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus kept his promise. It would happen. And now, through the power of the Spirit, Peter speaks in the face of persecution. Verse 9. Or I'll finish the end of verse 8. Rulers and the people, uh, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to the crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man before you is standing well. Peter tells them, if you're asking because of the act that has taken place and because of what I have just said before the people last night, the day before, the, what has just taken place before you arrested us, I have done that through the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. He gives it to him again. He tells them, you're the ones that urged this charge, whom you crucified. God raised from the dead. Then he again takes the spotlight off of him and John, and he says, by him, this man is standing before you well. They have a tangible example before them. This man has been healed, not because of some little voodoo magic that I have or that John did. Not because of anything special that we said other than Jesus Christ crucified in his resurrection and faith in him is what brought this man from being lame to walking. This man has been healed because of that man, Jesus Christ, not because of us. The guy that you crucified, he's not dead, he's resurrected. And he's given new life. Verse 11, here we see scripture, quote scripture. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which he has become the cornerstone. We sang that song a minute ago. We didn't just sing it to sing it. It ties in beautifully with the text. Peter here quotes Psalm 118, verse 22. He quotes it here as the cornerstone who is rejected by the builders. That psalm indicates that that would take place. Peter here is standing before the people and he's saying he is the cornerstone. You see, since ancient times, the cornerstone has been used by builders in their construction. It's the principal stone that is usually placed at the corner of the edifice and used to guide the workers as they worked. It is foundational. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone because he is foundational to the Christian faith. It is by him that this faith happens. It is by him that resurrection takes place because of his sacrifice on the cross, his defeat of sin and death. That psalm is one of the earliest messianic testimonies or prophecies pointing to Jesus. And it's pointing to the fact that the builders are the rulers of the Jewish nation who failed to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. Peter is boldly professing Christ before the people, before the religious elite that stands before him. And then he says this, verse 12, There is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Once again, Peter references Jesus as the cornerstone. He makes it clear to them that he is the one. And then he says that there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. That is so critical given the, li- the lives that we live today and the culture that is around us and the many different forms of things that are pulling at our attention. I said it last week, I'll say it again. There is no other religion that has a God, little g, that is alive today. Only Jesus Christ has defeated the grave. Every single religion's God, little g, that stood before them in human form as a person was just that, a person. He wasn't the God-man. He wasn't Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son that was sent to die for the people because of their sin. He was not sinless. That person, or that religion, had a death date like we all will have. They have not conquered the grave. They have not gone to the cross and died in your place for your sin. Only Jesus Christ has. There is no other name under heaven to which a person will be saved other than Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that I stress that before every man, woman, and child within the sound of my voice are listening online right now. We are all sinners who have been separated by God from God because of our sin. And we need the blood of Jesus that is poured out on Calvary's cross. The wrath of God poured out on Jesus. It is there and that was needed so that you and I wouldn't have to die a death that we should have died. So that we, if we repent of our sin and confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we don't have to spend eternity separated from God in hell. But we have the promise of the gift of eternal life forever through Christ Jesus our Lord because of what he did. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I promised y'all that this would be a shorter message and I'm done. Hot dog. But let me urge you with something. In a few moments, we're going to walk out of this place and we're going to witness the baptism of Tammy. And when we witness that baptism, there is a beautiful representation of what takes place there. She is identifying herself as a follower of Jesus Christ and she is publicly going before the people and before this community and anybody that watches a stream online and says, I follow Jesus. And in that baptism, why we fully immerse, obviously it was Jesus' example. He was baptized that way, but it represents Jesus going into the grave and coming out, resurrecting from the grave, going into the water, coming out. It represents the cleansing that we were once dead, now we are made alive, eternal. If you in this place are listening within the sound of my voice or a follower of Jesus, let me ask you something. When you professed Christ and you stood before people one day and you were baptized, 
That was your first time in saying, I identify myself as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And moving forward in this life, every opportunity you get, I ask the question, are you being bold? And I'm not saying you have to grab a megaphone and start screaming at people and telling them that they are sinners and they're dying and they're going to hell and they're just, they're, they're stupid for being sinners. No, I'm telling you this, as God gives you the opportunity through relationships that you build with your neighbors, with your family, with your coworkers, are you being bold or are you giving into fear? And I promise you, I've preached this message to myself this week. Don't give in to the fear. God will give you the opportunity if you would just be obedient, boldly proclaim Christ. We will say it week after week until it gets in. You are not responsible for saving the person's soul. Leave that up to the work of God. You are responsible as a follower of Jesus Christ to boldly proclaim the gospel when God gives you the opportunity. Boldly proclaim the gospel. Because the reality is the people that we love who don't know Jesus... They will one day die. And they don't have the promise of eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are here and you are not a follower of Jesus, I am so glad that you're here. Despite how great of a person that I'm sure you are, despite how good you may do in your daily life, despite whatever it may be, Please understand, this is the message of the gospel, and I believe this with every ounce of my being. However good you think you are, how many boxes you check weekly and you think you're good, the reality is, if you haven't repented of your sins and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are not saved. He has conquered the grave. He has resurrected from it. And he is offering salvation to any who would repent and believe. And let me just tie in something very quickly about that word repent. Because I think all of us, especially if you've been in a, in a Baptist context or any kind of context, honestly, that has talked about repentance, it's always come down as this very, very harsh thing. Like, man, I'm, I'm messed up and I, I'm a horrible person. I got to repent. We must repent of our sin. Yes. But in that repentance, in the Greek especially in the Matthew account, right at the beginning of John's earthly ministry, the way in which he says that there in the Greek, it's not a harsh thing. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to say, hey, repent and come. Repent and come. Repent of your sin and come to the one who will heal your soul. So that is my prayer for each of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, boldly proclaim Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe today may be the day of salvation for you. Maybe today is a day that you say, I want to know more. I have questions. Whatever it may be, don't miss the opportunity to be obedient. We're going to do like we always do at the conclusion of the message. We're going to have a moment of prayer, silent prayer like we did at the beginning. And in that time, if you have anything in that moment, 
Ask the Father, what are you saying to me right now? What have you been saying throughout this message? What have you been saying to me throughout whatever it may be over the last several weeks? What are you saying to me? And as you hear him say it to you in your spirit, walk in obedience towards it. Answer the call. Repent and come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to send your son to die, a death that we should have died because our sin separated us from you. We thank you, Lord, for the example of what we see in your word of followers of the early church that are established, the apostles, Peter and John, and they're boldly proclaiming Christ despite the persecution that they faced of being arrested for boldly proclaiming Jesus. Thank you for that example to us, Father. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we all, if we have repented and believed in Jesus and we are followers of Christ Jesus, our Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make clear to us the things that we need to do, that we would be obedient to you, that we would walk in that obedience to you, trusting you and knowing that you are with us always, that we would not give in to fear when we see the opportunity before us, before a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend, to boldly claim the gospel. Father, that we would trust, Lord, that you are moving and working in that, and Lord, that it's just our duty as followers of you, to follow the commandment that you gave to us of the Great Commission to boldly proclaim and trust, God, that you are moving and working in that. Lord, for any person that's in this room or listening online, Lord, that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, I pray through what has been said today, through what has been sung, Lord, that you are stirring in their heart, whatever that may be, And Father, that they would trust you today as Lord. That they would repent of their sin and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in their heart, God, that you resurrected Jesus from the grave. Because your word tells us, Lord, that they would be saved. Have your way, Lord, in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.